1: Hello, I'm David Kern.
2: I'm Heidi White.
1: And I'm Tim McIntosh. And you are listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the incurable reader, on which we are discussing Ernest J. Gaines' book, A Gathering of Old Men. And we are here to discuss through page 167. So that section ends uh, with uh, T. Jack's bar scene, basically. So, Tim, you were not here. Last week, you were in Arizona, I believe. Correct. Correct. So, this so turn to you first. You can give us a temperature check on your feelings about this novel. And then we'll dive into some questions that I have for this section. So, I we, got, we got a chance to emote and discuss it. Oh, you did? Can you? I mean, I, I still, I love this book. Um, no, I don't think we were like, we didn't run counter to that. We both still
0: like this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, what was the nature of your emoting?
1: <laughs> Positive. I listened
2: to it on the podcast.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. There's an, I'll send you the link to the app where you can download podcasts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And did you know that there's also Patreon? Oh, I've heard of Patreon. Yeah. If you go to patreon.com slash close reads, you can get a bunch of bonus content. Side note, before we get into the conversation, we're going to have an announcement soon written, probably also said talked, uh, spoken announcement about new Patreon stuff. And we plotted together very last exciting. week, we've got new bonus content coming. We've got new things that we're going to be doing for those of you who sign up. So whether you want, you want to pay two, five, 10 or $20 a month, or select one of those categories and pay for the whole year up front, there's going to be new stuff for you starting in um, very soon, starting very soon. So, uh, we're going to have all that information coming soon. So again, just wanted to let, let you know that. Uh, since, since Tim brought it up, I mean, you know. That's since what I happened, brought right? it up. Yeah, right. since Tim brought it right. up. Okay, so in this section, we get, um, in the last section that we talked about, Heidi and I discussed how we get some of the reasons for why this gathering of old men is happening, why they are deciding to do what they're doing. Here, we get kind of the other side of the conflict. And we get we get Gil. We get introduced to, to Gil and we get introduced to his family. And then we get introduced to Luke Will and we get introduced to T-Jack and um, his bar. And we spend a lot less time with the gathering of Old men itself. So, so given what we just read in this section and given what we've read so far in the book, I have a question that I was wrestling with as I was reading. And I would like to... Help, have you two solve this problem for me. Actually, we can maybe open it up for some debate. Who would you say is the um, worst character in this book? I was going to say villain, but I don't know that the book, it seems to me that the book is kind of rejecting the notion of a traditional villain here, but who would you say is, is the, is the bad guy, the, the baddest of the bad guys in, the, in this book? Cause there's, there's a lot of different people that could take, take the cake for that role tim what do you think well should we make a list of potentials (laughs) (sighs) we could i
0: it seems to me like it's gonna be fixed that's what i'm anticipating i mean we're we're set up to kind of like he's the last dragon that we've got to face and mapes is kind of like the mini dragon that he's not even a mini dragon i mean
1: he's kind of he's pretty terrifying right um we did talk about Fix a lot, and then like how complicated he is. Yeah, Mapes. Yeah. You talking mapes. about mapes. mapes? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, because there's
0: moments that we see what
1: appears to be
0: something like um, empathy from Mapes. So I don't know. Those are my two nominees. Heidi, do you have nominees? I mean,
2: I am I'm hardcore on your side on. Fix is the villain. Mm -hmm. I think he's a villain. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I'd agree with David. I think he's a villain. However, I disagree on Mapes. I think Mapes is a good man just just not a man of, I said this last week, not a man with strong enough virtue to truly uh, shine in this moment, but I think he's trying to mediate and mitigate with what he knows is coming or expects to be coming from fix and his boys. I think Luke will is up there for sure. Uh, but I think that fix was just playing with guilt and was planning to do this all along. So planning I think he's like, wholly malevolent
1: planning to do what?
2: I think he was planning to go after Matthew the whole time. I think he was just testing Gil's loyalty in this section. So I do think he's like a full on hundred percent villain, but I don't think all the white characters are. I think Gil is like the most poignant character so far in the whole novel. Why do why do you think so,
0: Heidi? I mean I can I can he's
2: caught between two irreconcilable loyalties. mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. I mean, morality on one side and family on the other. And that is an impossible choice. I mean yeah. it's a possible choice, but to the psyche, right. that's right. not something you recover from ever as a human being, and I mm. think that's where he's at
1: yeah the kind of, it's, a, it's a choice that alters you like there's no way you come off mm-hmm. the other side yeah, of that, it's the same person yeah mm-hmm. I have a follow up question, Heidi,
0: when Mapes was slapping the like different members of the assembly mm-hmm. did you did you Did your opinion of him change later on in the novel?
2: Yeah. My opinion of him is that he's a complicated, not, I don't know if I think, I said good man earlier, but I think what I mean by that is like decent, not, not, I don't mean necessarily good. Yeah. In the sense of like having a strong moral center. I think he's a decent man in a really caught in these conflicting social Um, and personal, um, quandaries, but I think he's trying to walk a middle line. And I do think he's a racist. Like he slapped those men is a horrible thing to do, but I don't see him as malevolent. I don't see him as a villain. I see him as a complicated fallen character, not a villain.
0: And do you guys have a feeling, do you guys have a sense that Mapes in the middle of the novel Knows how he does he have a plan for bringing about a solution to this problem once he realizes what's going on that all of the black characters are taking ownership of the murder, so that none of them kind of like have to face the brutality, the injustice of the law? Do you like Mapes surely recognizes this at some point? Like, what is going on? Does he have a plan?
2: Does I, I he know
0: what's like what he's gonna do? I, I don't I don't, know. I don't think I so, haven't read ahead. But I, don't know. I yeah, yeah, I think
2: he's just biding his time. But this seems like the kind of novel that's gonna have a twist. So it does. It seems uh, that way to me
0: too. Yeah. So
2: maybe, but I'm leaving the possibility open from full but from what I know and what I expect right now, I think he's just biding his time and trying to fend off the inevitable the best he can.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can can hear my two year old is yes, outside the door. Yes,
2: hear this—the cheerful sounds of childhood. She's saying is she something calling to for me,
1: you? probably. Yeah. But she's, she's got probably three siblings and, and Bethany hiking. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what did you teach her to say that when we were hiking this weekend?
2: Well, it was just you and the boys, like a lot of boys, including Tim. Yeah. And then Lydia and I, who, by the way, to all the world, you should know how darling this child is. She's ridiculous. Like there's a normal (laughs) amount of cuteness for a child. And then there's like Lydia. So she is just the most spirited yet also like feminine and lovely little person. Um, So when we were on this hike exploring the... Uh, The wilderness around David's house, Lydia and I were the only ladies, so we had to celebrate. So I taught her to raise up her hand and, you know, raise it to the roof and say, ladies, Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. So we just wandered about, calling out to the world, announcing ourselves as ladies. Hi, Lydia. And now Heidi and I are like,
0: she's now on the screen.
2: Hi, Lydia. Can you say hi? Hi, Hi. Hi. Can you can we teach them that we're the ladies? Do you wanna do that with me? Put up your hand. Here.
1: <laughs> she doesn't like the headphones. She does like the She's spirited. She's
2: lady. No, now she's being shot. No. That's okay.
1: So okay. I'm just gonna let her sit here while we, while we talk about this. She is wave she is waving. So okay. We have we have mace, we've got Luke, Well, we've got Fix, we've got I write I'm writing T Jack down and then we've got as a fifth sort of terrible character, we've got um the deputy who's yeah. just a fool. Yeah oh, the yeah. Deputy,
0: oh, um, I I think David he's too spineless Flaccid? to actually do yeah, yeah, to actually do any real harm though there have been plenty of spineless people in history who have done like profound amounts of harm. Of oh, of harm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I think he's gonna be executing orders. More than he's going to be
1: like driving the wrongs. So, who do you, if we take those five characters, how do you order them in terms of what you think their they're awfulness?
2: Wickedness. Fix first. I Lou, think fix first. Or Luke, Luke will second. Yeah. Who are the others?
1: T Jack, Mapes, T Jack, Griffin.
2: Okay, Griffin so I'm going to put Griffin third. T. Jack and then Mapes, although because T. Jack is colluding, although he is trying to stay out of it, but not because he has a moral center as much as because he just wants to stay out of trouble.
0: hmm hmm
2: So that's my ranking. Wants to keep his customers happy. I'd,
0: right.
2: I'd go with the same. <laughs> exactly.
0: I'd go with the same.
2: What you, David? Yeah. Do you have a? You haven't answered the question yet.
1: I would put Luke Will first. Okay. Then T-Jack And why Luke will above Fix um, Because Well one I think the book is telling us Setting us up you want to get down <laughs> No okay She's just waving I thought she was waving goodbye I think that um, I think the book is setting us up For Luke will to be the agent of chaos okay. um, I, I think that Luke will is pure Purely malevolent like he he is full of genuine hate. I think mm-hmm. that when you look at someone like Fix, this is a man who is a he is a he he has a degree of a code. You know he's like you know the bad character in uh, The Wire. You know there's there's a code about him. I think that he has uh, things that he is actually trying to. Preserve. I'm not saying he's not evil. I'm not saying he's not a bad guy. But I, I think that that, that in, in Luke, will you have pure hatred, pure malevolence. He is you know, like a demon type character. I think hmm. Fix has a degree of. I also think the book wants us to have a degree of pathos for him, that he is has lost his son, and like it sets him up to be someone who, you know, he cries. He doesn't, I think, I think we're supposed to take it at face. value. He doesn't know what he wants to do. I don't Hmm. know that. I agree that in the moment he is completely setting Gil up to fail. Um, And then, and then I think T Jack is pretty rotten too. And in part, because we get his narration. Like, I think what he does is try to survive, but the way he talks is so bleak in his narration the way he talks about the social order and the way he describes the black characters and the way he responds to that's the the, the the uh negative aspects of the social order is just so bleak i don't think he is i think he is a product of the social order and that that th- thus he is kind of middle tier bad right he's sort of everyday bad but i think he is pretty deeply bad. I think the deputy is. Yeah. I think he's spineless. Like I think I would put him and T-Jack kind of in the same category you've got. It's it's interesting that
0: three of our five bad characters, T-Jack, the deputy, and who's the third I was going to just name? Uh, Luke. They're not, they are more, they're evil is more an evil of born of having no spine, having no backbone. Whereas characters like Fix and Mapes have a backbone. And in some ways,
1: yeah. How do you think I say Luke, this? Did you include Luke Will in the back, the back, the spineless characters? Yeah, I do.
2: Huh. But he's so the- aggressive.
1: Like he's aggressively violent. Like all he wants, he he is not afraid.
0: But he gets drunk before they go out. Yeah, he's a loser for sure. Well, but I think it's but more the than whole he's time. A loser. He's, the whole
1: time he's trying to get fixed to go. and He's picking a fight. and He's being aggressive with. He even is willing to attack Gil. Like he's. That's why I say he's an agent of chaos.
2: So what do Definitely you mean he's by an agent of chaos? Spin-less.
1: Like you were saying that Mapes
0: does. I think that Luke, uh, now I'm like hedging on that, but I'm just going to follow through. I don't think he has a code. I think he has an inferiority complex, like a pretty profound one.
2: So do you guys ever play just D&D, which I never have, but my kids do, right? And they have like the levels of your characters you pick there. Right, right. Like, so, you can be you can be a character who's chaotic evil, lawful evil, or mm-hmm. neutral evil, mm-hmm. right? So, where would you oh, put like Luke, Luke Will chaotic in the evil. D&D category?
1: So, say them again so for the people who are listening who don't know what we're
2: New, talking about. There's, uh, so, in D&D, you pick characters and you pick their kind of like organizational bends, i guess um and then their level of moral goodness as character so you can be chaotic evil or good but for right now we're ranking villains right so you've got chaotic evil which means they're like zombies right like they're just they're wicked and evil no sorry not zombies are neutral um they're what orcs right from Lord of the Rings are chaotic evil. Like Mm -hmm. they just do evil indiscriminately with no code, but they are truly evil and trying to be evil. And then you have lawful evil, which is somebody with a very strict code like Sauron, like trying to gain power or whatever. Um, Or I would, I'll just say it like fix, like his code protect the family. He's lawfully evil. He has an internal code, but it's wicked. And then neutral, which is just someone who is essentially does evil, but doesn't really care if they do evil or not. Like, they're neutral.
0: Is there a character from Lord of the Rings that fits that last description? Gollum? Oh, that's right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It, this, it's, it occurs to me that this discussion is sort of like we're laying out each of our our visions of the ontology of wickedness. Of evil, right? Yeah. Right. So I'd say like,
2: somebody like Griffin is like neutral evil. Like he might do harm, but it's going to, not because he's trying to, he's just trying, or even neutral evil might even be, what's the guy's name? The T? bartender guy?
1: T-Jack. T-Jack. T-Jack.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like he's I going to you. do some and contribute to the overall malevolence of, this, of the of I think Mapes would, would story be neutral line. evil. Okay.
0: Really, you think Mapes would be neutral evil? I think he's neutral hey.
2: good. Oh, this is so interesting.
1: Oh well, if we're talking about bringing good into the the occasion, there's such a fine line between neutral evil and neutral good. Sometimes,
2: right? Like, I just don't think that Mapes is bad. I just think he's. I don't know. I don't. When I say that, then then it's he, like, well, do it, I condone his racist actions? Of course not. Of
0: course not. Right. 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 Nobody's hearing that.
2: So anyway, that like what I would say. I think that Luke will. Is chaotic evil, hmm. not new, not lawful evil.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I can get with that. I can totally get with that. Yeah, he's actively. I mean, he's every moment when when Gil when the, when the drama of the scene suggests that Gil might be able to convince his father of something or engender some kind of pathos or suggest you know some tell some kind of truth. Luke will jumps in as if the devil on the shoulder, the demon, you know, the, the, the demon on the, the the right shoulder saying that the angel on the left shoulder is full of, you know, what, um, so, yeah. Could you say that again for us? Just right. a honky. Have that as a pullout. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, but let me, let me ask this question then. Why do you think the book takes this detour? The book is called a gathering of old men. And that's what we've been given for the first roughly two thirds of the book, whatever, between a half and two thirds. And then here we're given a roughly what 50, 60 page detour where all of a sudden we're in Gil's head and we're learning about the importance of sec football in the, in the, in race relations. And the moment, you know, we get this Sully character who's talking about the salt and pepper, you know, Gil and, and pepper and how they're, um, Almost like agents of healing, right? And then um, we get the scene where we're we sort of even if we agree that Fix is evil, we are given a human version of him, right? We're given the child on his lap who he is saying this child no longer has a there's a family culture there's you know. Uh, he he's a man who's saying I'm old now. I, Twenty years ago, yeah, I would have just run out there. Now I'm not sure what I'm going to do. You know, there's all where he's humanized at least, and okay. and then we're given this scene in the bar with this teacher from Texas and or from Louisiana, I guess he grew up in Texas, but he's you know raging Cajun um, from Louisiana Lafayette. And you know we're given we're given. Th- all these different characters that take us away from the actual gathering of the old men. Why does the book do that? Do you think, Heidi? You want to go first? T- sure. Tim, you're muted. Tim's already <laughs> going, but he's muted. So now Heidi gets to. No, I'm just kidding, Tim. Go ahead. Gonna, <laughs> I, th- yeah. Yeah. No.
0: I think it's I'm because we have <laughs> a really, really fine author, and he understands like a basic premise of great narrative, which is. Um, The size of the enemy and the ferociousness of the enemy, there's a direct proportion between the size and ferociousness of the enemy and the satisfaction of the conclusion of the book. Now, we've not gotten to the conclusion of the book, but the fact that he has shown the other side and given voice to the other side, to me, makes me think, okay, we are in really good hands here because he's not afraid to treat his opponent with he takes his opponent with real seriousness. One of my, you know what? I'm about to go on a rant. I just like heads up. One of my like least favorite movies of all time is this movie that came out, I don't know, 15 20 years ago called Amazing Grace, the story of William Wilberforce and abolition in so many England. people
1: right now. So many people right now I'm upset that you like are that you hate this movie.
2: Screen. This is like a homeschool staple. It's, it is I, but it is
0: hard for me
2: rant away.
0: It is hard for me to kind of like pull back on the bridle bit when I think about that movie because everyone loves. Okay, first off, it's a great story. William Wilberforce is a really great story. Amazing Grace for me fails on two different levels. The one that's most important for the sake of this discussion is the enemies of William Wilberforce. The forces of slaveholding in England are immediately laughable. You cannot take them seriously in that movie. Even the people that they cast, they should have cast the very best looking people in the room to play the the slaveholders. Who do they cast? These two sniveling uh, aristocrats who we just hold, what what we want more than anything else is just to show dominance over, you, you know, it's just like, it's implausible. This is not what propped up slavery for hundreds of years in England or the United States. It's the things that our author in this book, Gathering of Old Men is describing. It's all sorts of things like vested economic interest, it's all sorts of mm-hmm. things like family legacies, guilt. Um, these are all the things that once, like slavery and slavery started to end, it, they still, the effects of slavery remained, not because you have these sort of sniveling aristocrats who just, I just want to hold on. It's That's not what kept, this in place, what kept it in place. Yeah. It's not why Jim Crow South became other things. exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think I was so disappointed in amazing grace because they did not take the opponents of seriously. abolition seriously. They but
1: treated in, them in, like clowns. Even beyond the historicity of it, from a dramatic perspective, a weak and sniveling enemy.
0: It's not, it's not hard, hard to overcome. overcome. It's not yeah. hard to overcome.
1: Sauron is terrifying,
0: absolutely terrifying. You're like, we can never win. We can never win. And so when the good guys do win, oh my goodness, it is so satisfying. And I think that's part of the reason that I remain so hopeful and optimistic about the conclusion of this book is that we are seeing the other side and we're seeing like how Gil is, oh my goodness, his situation is so complicated. Mm-hmm. And even somebody like Mapes, his situation is so complicated. And I just have nothing but respect that
1: our author is showing us that. So we've had a lot of not, well, Heidi, you, you're trying to answer the question.
2: Uh, no, I I am, but... Do you want to
1: no, rant? rant on his rants? I do not want
2: to rant on his rants, because everything you're saying is true. Um, I mean, so... To tell a good story, you also have to humanize the enemy and make them sympathetic in some way, right? Um, to have some kind of emotional response that's beyond triumph, that is human and nuanced. Um, and I think we get that with Gill for sure, and a couple, maybe a couple of others: the family, the women, you know, the child and the wife, and all that. Um, and and the culture, right? It does seem like a rich and close culture. Um, so uh, but I wanted to just really quickly go back to the question of why we kind of zoom out from the gathering. And to me, I also saw it structurally. Remember the nesting boxes we talked about on the first episode, right? So we go from out to in towards the gathering. Like as the, the first half of the book is these black characters uniting in a common cause, right? Towards this gathering, gathering together. And then now in the second half of the book, we have the opposite direction. Right. We have the white characters who are speaking on the other side and we're zooming out to see what they're going to do about the gathering. And so we're getting mm-hmm. further and further away from the actual geographical place where the action is taking place, it was moving towards in the first half, moving away in the second half. Um, and that and then also, as you pointed out, Tim, we have the, then this added the the other craft reason gives us some skin in the game on the white characters it actually matters to this community what happens to matthew hmm. Um, and That's a great point, Heidi. Going I to mean, about the conse- Yes, and there's going to be enduring consequences on the white and on the Cajun community. The same way there's going to be on the black community. It's going to cost them something. It's already cost them something: personal grief and a public cataclysm. Uh, and and that is, I think, important for us to have some kind of skin in the game on both sides of the issue, no matter where morally we stand on it, mm-hmm, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Tim, I would like to, I'd like to bring back a close reads, a classic close reads segment. Mm. I would like to bring back the Tim McIntosh predicts the end of the book segment.
0: Oh my goodness. So I'd love on the spot without thinking anything of it. Oh my goodness.
1: I would love to know what you think. A two, two part question. Do you have a sense for what you think this book is going to end with? And do you have a sense of what you would like it to end with? And those might not necessarily be the same thing. I, I just love to know, like, what are you kind of anticipating? What are you kind of hoping for? Okay, what I'm hoping for, I know can't
0: happen. Because to some degree, it's like it would be a violation of human nature. What I really want to happen is for all the bad characters to have a moment of enlightenment in which they're like, hey, you guys, what we've been doing is terribly wrong. We need to change our ways. It's not too late for us and for our families. Let's listen to Gil.
2: You let's, really let's, are angelically good. What, no, I'm,
0: that's what I want to happen, but I also right. recognize like I, the black characters, the gathering of old men, um, that's what they want to happen also. And that's, it's just not, that's what, that's not what's going to happen. Okay. So let's just put that to the side. What I, this is a long shot because I have been struggling to see how Ernest Gaines is going to bring resolution to this book. I really don't know. I think that Gil is going to play a prominent role because I was thinking, okay, what is an area, what is a sphere of life in Louisiana that there is some sort of common ground. It's not economics. It's not the law. It's not family. It's not work. It's sports. Like, And it's not even really particularly level. Particularly SEC football. Particularly SEC football. And it's not level yet, but Gil is a white running back. His kind of like cohort is a black running back. They're friends. And I think that that, and Gil is like really bound up in this. So I think that that kind of platform is, I think that Ernest Gaines is going to use that platform. The other thought that I have, again, this is a long shot, is that the chaos that is Luke is going to actually cause... It's his, his chaos making is going to backfire and somehow like leaders of the community are going to, I wonder if it's going to be a Birmingham moment. Like when the dogs and the fire hoses were brought out in Birmingham during the civil rights marches and everyone saw what was happening, that's when the civil rights movement began to really like gain momentum. And I wonder if something like that might happen with Luke, that he causes so much chaos and so much destruction that the people who need to see that see it and they say, no more, this cannot continue. And so the murder in some way is going to be, I don't know how it would be absolved,
1: but in some way the murder is going to be absolved. Well, we're going to find out next week, obviously, and there's a lot of people who are listening who are either cheering you on right? or shaking their head. Like, oh, Tim, you're so far off. Yeah, well, we had to, I mean, you know, people love when Tim predicts stuff. (laughs) Yeah, because it's so laughable. I was uh, so off with Rebecca. Well, that's kind of the point of a mystery, though. Yeah. And this
0: is a mystery, isn't it? It's like a mystery of, it's in, in some ways, crime and punishment. We know who did it. Really, really early. We know who did it. The whole question is, in that book, why did he do it? That's the mystery. In this book, we know who did it. The whole question is,
1: what's justice going to look like? So then do you take, Heidi, do you take at face value that Matthew did it?
2: I do, but I'm prepared for a twist. Like I am ready for, I am poised and ready for everything I think about this novel to be completely wrong. And, um... I can just feel it building. I can, and I think it's going to be one of those perfect endings when you say, I did not see that coming, but it's the only thing that could have happened. Um, because I would, ha- I, I would, ha- I don't have any idea how I would end this story, right? Like if I was a yeah, novelist yeah. here, I don't know how I would end it. I'd think this was a great idea for a novel and then I'd never write it because I'd have no idea how to end it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure.
2: But I think something's going to happen to Gil. That's my prediction. I think something, I think he's going to die.
0: Do you and really? And I think
2: that's why he's not in there. That
0: is so good. Because, okay. That's the, my like, one prediction. Watching public has got their eyes on Gil. And if he dies, yeah. I mean, he's like this esteemed running back. Oh my goodness. Because
2: you know he's going to go with his family. Right.
0: That's a great guess. Okay, so David, I would like to rewind. Nope. Don't no my first vote. You can change your vote, though. I appeal directly to our listeners. Listeners, hear me. <laughs> I am following suit with Heidi. I've cast my lot with Heidi.
2: Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And I am not cheating. I've like. not read ahead one single word. I am, okay. like, in suspense.
1: So, so then do we think there's 17, so 17, 17 old men with shotguns sitting on a porch and the possibility of a great conflict looming the enemy on the horizon and so forth. Do we think shots will be fired? Yeah. I, I think so. More shots will be fired. But
2: I don't think from them, if I were to make a guess, but again, I'm probably totally wrong. I think it's the implosion of this other culture. I right. Like the violence begets violence, the city divided it's against itself. Um, But I don't know, something to your point, it might turn out, Matthew didn't do it. It might turn, you know, like there's all these other ways it could go to be a satisfying ending, although I've only thought of like maybe one. But like I said, I would have no idea.
0: It does feel structurally like our heroes or one of our heroes has to die, right? Because, and the kind of... um, among the gathering, there is this unified sense that we have not stood up when people have done mm-hmm. our us and our families wrong. Right. But now, no more. No more. And they recognize, they all recognize the cost of saying no more. It could cost them their life. It could cost them, you know, life in jail. It's almost like there's no way they're going to go to jail. They're going to die. And they recognized if this goes sideways, they recognize it. So I... I would like to add to my prediction, which is kind of like Heidi's prediction plus an addendum plus a PS. I do think that one of our heroes is going to die. And I think that's
1: going to be part of the
0: pivot. Hmm.
1: So we talked a little bit last week about the idea of justice, because on the one hand, you've got care, you know. The question is, is someone going to pay for this murder? And then you've got the question of whether the murder itself is justified, which is almost a question that isn't even really the book isn't really even asking us that right?
2: asking that question at all.
1: And and we may get to that. Like we may have a court case or something like that, that that asks us to think about was Bo getting killed justified? On the other hand, we've got the question of. So is someone going to pay for that? But then if the men, if, if shots are fired and these men do stand up for themselves, will they be justified? And would the family be justified in returning shots in defense of their their brother, their son? And it seems like what we're getting is we're getting like this sort of microcosmic mom, conflict of the moment that's being microcosmic, not in the sense that like it's actually cosmic, but like a microcosm conflict, this little conflict that is, Bo dies. Some guys are standing up for their friend. Some people are standing up for their brother and trying to get justice for him. So on the one hand, we could ask the question, are they just in trying to get revenge for their brother, right? For for, for Bo. Is the, is Bo's family justified in trying to get revenge for him? And then it becomes a revenge tale, right? But there's there's a, a bazillion of those in literature and movies and all that kind of stuff on the other hand we have the question of would these men be justified in standing up for themselves in this particular conflict and then you've got the question of whether the murder is just whether, whether there's gonna be justice for the murder in the first place and i'm fascinated by the idea of the men whether the men are justified in doing what they're doing the gathering of old men and it seems like the book is too because the book isn't coming right out and telling us like We've got a lot of characters who were supposed to kind of who would normally be seen as the wise, you know, the ones who answer questions of virtue. We've got the minister who's against this whole thing. We've got the police officer who is like, what are you guys doing? And a number of women who are saying, this is nonsense, quit doing this. And yet they're saying, we've been up against it our whole lives. We've been persecuted we've never stood up for ourselves. this is our chance but is but then the book does seem to be saying like it seems to be like saying what the fact that they're doing that is courageous, and you sympathize with them, but then when you step back you're like well does does that fact justify a battle and the book mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be saying for sure yes it does yes it does, and so it makes it so makes it such a complicated book on race mm-hmm. relations, especially being written by mm-hmm. a black man who himself surely growing up in this part of the world suffered at the hands of the white people in the community. Right. And, and, Agreed. and perhaps he also had good relationships, but maybe he had a salt and pepper type of relationship like Gil and pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just complicates the whole thing because we don't know what the, what, we don't really know what question the book is asking because there's all these different questions that it might be asking. And I find that r- really interesting Like in terms of the nesting dolls theory that you're talking about. like It's almost like this, these nesting dolls of questions about justice that are being asked. And we're not mm. really even sure which one we're supposed to be compl- contemplating.
2: Right. Well, and to your point, the, the notions of justice within the characters seem to be... Uh, very individual and personal, right? So there's not necessarily any character. Maybe Gil's an exception to this, and there's a slight possibility that Mapes is an exception to this, but none of them seem to be asking, what is the right thing to do? Most of them seem to be asking, how do I protect my own, including the Black characters, right? Or... or (laughs) Oh, I don't know if that's true,
1: Heidi. Yeah, I don't don't know know if I would say that's true for the Black characters. I
2: think it is. I think what they're saying is we have suffered. I don't think they're objectively fighting for justice or to change underlying societal kind of roles. The only indication we get of that is Gil when he says, well, I've been trying to change this my whole life.
1: But I don't think that I don't think the Black men are trying to protect. And I'm not
2: I. Right. Well, and I'm not saying that's bad because I think that's actually how all of us most of the time make decisions. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not. Uh, that's not an accusation. No, yes. Yeah. It's, but it's what I'm saying is that their decision seems to be largely personal and communal, not that. objectively. Like, what is the nature of justice and how do I fight for it right now? Well, um, I think like they're not I, being woke is what I'm saying. No, I they're think what saying, they're doing, like, though, I don't want Matthew to die. This man and I want to stand for what I've been through and my family's been through.
1: Maybe go ahead. Well, Timmy, you were going to say something too.
0: I just don't think that you can separate those two things. Like um, the gathering of old men who take up shotguns are fighting for themselves and for their community. They're not fighting. I agree. They're they're they don't have. They don't talk about elevated notions of justice.
2: Social justice. But
0: it still right. seems to me that's exactly the thing that's driving them to show up in mass and to claim the murder.
2: That's what I'm saying. I think it's better that way. I think it's more human. That's the argument I'm making.
0: That I, I think agree. it's
2: disembodied to make it ideological and to say they're fighting for abstract social justice, right? Like if this isn't a book that's trying to make some kind of woke stand it's saying we're humans and we're making human decisions based on our community our family our loyalties and um and and our love yeah i agree with that but i don't
1: think it's about protection i think it is about justice in this in this sense yeah i don't think they're fighting because there's something this goes back to what i was saying a minute ago they're not doing this because they think what they're doing is just given the crime committed what they're saying mm-hmm. is we have been treated for centuries and throughout our whole lives in an unjust way. And it's finally time to just stand up for ourselves. So for them, it right. is a question of justice there. The, the personal part is that they have been treated in an unjust way their whole lives. And so now it's time to just finally do something about it, whether it's just or not. That's kind of, yeah, whether that, that I action itself is just right. in the given moment. Right. That's what I'm saying. I, and I, and I don't know that. Like, I think, what, I think maybe when you said the word protect that was what threw me off because I don't think they're trying to protect. Them. I think they're, in fact, they're casting off the notion of protection. Like they they're haven't acted for their whole nasty. lives because they haven't right. protected themselves because sure. they were trying to protect themselves. Yeah. Right. Okay. Fair so enough. they're trying to protect their friend.
2: Yeah. And their community. And yeah, but yes, I think we're saying the same thing. I probably just used a word that Yeah. was. I,
1: that, yeah. Even that's interesting though. I wonder if they're, they are, Tim, do you think they're trying to protect I mean, I think in a sense, they're trying to protect him because they like him. But I think the reason that Matthew doesn't Matthew doesn't, um, he lets them do what they're doing because he recognizes, he doesn't tell them to go home because he recognizes that what they're doing is standing up for a lifetime of oppression they have experienced. Like he's letting them do something for themselves, not for him. Which I think is just another way of saying what Heidi's saying, maybe. David, say that again. So we talked last week when you were in Arizona about how there's a scene where Mapes is like, just tell them all to go home. Mm -hmm. And Matthew's like, they can do what they want. This is, they're making decisions for themselves. You know, they're doing this for them. And so I feel like what he's saying there is he is not, if he did it, he's not confessing to it because what he recognizes in them is the need to actually stand up for themselves against the, because of the injustices that they have faced for so long. Yeah. Like there is something irrational about their, And I don't mean that in a negative sense, just like it's something its a deep guttural, like deep seated response to being treated like, pardon my French crap for so long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I think, why he lets them do it. I I think that there is none of them come over there and say, like, we know how we're getting all the stories about why they come. None of them are like, Matthew, Matthew's my buddy. So yeah, we're going to stand up for them. They're all like my daughter, my sister was raped. My, right. my brother mm-hmm. was beaten mm-hmm. by sugar cane or whatever. So for them, and I think that what they're saying is that we have lived in our whole life. Mm-hmm. Even if the moment that we are, even if what this particular crime so this, it might not be just for us to do what we're doing given the particularities of this moment in this particular crime. But because we have lived in a world of injustice, this is our moment to finally stand up for ourselves against all the injustices our community has, has suffered for a long time. It may not be in keeping with what happened right now. And yet this is, our, this, is, this is the opportunity for us to actually have a voice. That's what I'm... And I think the fact that Matthew is
0: the character that has stood up against whites on various occasions and like he's strong. And I think. And he also has the, good relationships with a couple. He of does. Them. Right. Cause he's friends with. Like he even he MAPES. Fishing with mapes. Yeah. Um, I think part of what makes this moment so poignant for the black community is that it's mapes that's being accused and if it, you know, like, he has stood up kind of on his own many times do you, do you in the backstory. you mean Matthew? Matthew. I'm sorry. I said Mapes. Yeah. I meant Matthew. Yeah. Um, he has stood up on his own so many times. And now he's accused. And so part of the reason it's such a galvanizing moment is um, they respect him so much. He's He's become like an icon to them in so many ways. So... It really fits that they're all going to come and like take whatever, not credit. They're going to, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. self-accuse because Matthew was so, so respected by them. It'd be interesting if it was, I I don't know that this would have happened. I don't know there would be a gathering of old men if the same event happened with a different, less respectable perpetrator from the black community.
1: I don't know that this would be the galvanizing moment. I don't think it would. The question of it wouldn't have happened at all without candy either is a fact, kind of an interesting part of this whole thing. Which I think still needs to get unpacked.
2: And there is a loose end in the story, which is why doesn't candy just take Matthew away? Right. So there is that that's a hole to me. That's like but been my it feels like kind of easy to plug up. And so I'm wondering if it's going to come like they could have just made Matthew say this is my land and I'm not leaving. You know what I mean? Like, but there's no explanation for why. Like, why don't they run away just and hide? Escaping, knowing that fix is coming in several hours. So they'd have a head start. Right. So there's to me, there's that is a glaring hole in the plot. It Never even occurred to me. And I'd like to know if that's going to be plugged up. If not, I think it's a flaw, but there's still time.
1: Yeah. We got some pages. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me because I just assumed he would get caught by the police down the road. That's that was kind of my thing. But but we can yeah we'll see. Hey Tim, mm-hmm. I know you need to go. Yeah, do you have do you are you done? You want to have a final thought? You got to go. I'm great. Tim's got to go. I'm great. Yeah. All right, All right. Heidi. Um, do you want to have you have any final thoughts on this episode? Next week we're obviously going to dig into the ending, and then we're going to have a Q and A episode. So those episodes will go a little longer.
2: Um, I don't. My final thought was that hole in the plot question that's been kind of nagging in my mind. I've been wondering about it. So I'm wondering if at some point it's going to be plugged up.
1: I just want to say that the scene with Gil and his dad, the drama in that scene, I know, you know, it, it felt like it, honestly, I kept thinking of Hemingway when we were reading that Hmm. Um, the writing is like super Hemingway.
2: Yes. The repetition
1: the repetition, the short sentences, the, uh-huh. like the, you get the first person, the way he uses first person POV. The
2: unsaid like, subtext. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the difference here, like, uh, you know, Hemingway, I think his subject matter probably is what turns a lot of people off more than his writing. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but this, it reminded me so much of the best Hemingway. Like it reminded me so much of the killers, the short story. I don't know if you ever read that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, like that, like th- it's like a, like a bottle episode of TV, where you're all just in, or a, or a stage play where you're just all in a in a room, and the tension is growing and growing and growing. And you've got even the way he like stages the people with Gil sitting there with his hands on his hands clasped, and different people standing in different parts of the room, and the child in the and grandfather's lap, and over and yeah.
2: over again. That scene is that's one out. of the
1: best chapters I've read in. Any Long book in forever. Dead. Yeah. It's I so agree. precise well, and good.
2: I do have one more final thought then, based on what you just said. And it's this that this whole section makes me take back entirely what I said last week. Um about the stories kind of being too close together in that one section that we mm. read last week about from Lou Grimes. Um, because I think we need that in order to balance out the poignancy of this section that we just read, Mm. because it's so, so emotional and so personal and so human. And, um, and it makes the moral tangle of this book, like even more poignant, um, and then, and so I th- think I totally take back what I said last week about, man, there's just kind of a lot. It's a bit heavy handed in this section because I think we we have to have that um, to, yeah, to counterbalance, to harmonize the poignancy of this particular section.
1: Mm. Well, with that, let's see what happens in the next week when... In- when this book ends. Um, is a great book. It's great so book. Great writer. Just so we're, so next week we will finish uh, the book and then we'll do the Q and a after that. Um, and then we're going to dive into Confederacy of Dunces. One quick announcement at the end of the year, what we're going to do is for the sake of time, we're going to still do Henry green's loving, but we're not going to do multiple episodes on it. It's not a very long novel, but we're going to do one episode discussing that novel. And Uh, We'll also do our end of year reading, and we'll we'll do those in December, kind of before the new year starts. So we're gonna after this book in early November, we're gonna dive into a Confederacy of Dunces, another Southern novel that takes place in Louisiana, and then we're going to do one episode on loving. In addition to all the sort of other end of year podcasts that we're going to do about our favorite books and all that sort of thing. Uh, The plays, the thing is going on right now. They're doing the Taming of the Shrew. Act four should be up uh, now. I think I think it's Act four. Um, We've got. Winnie Wendell going on, lots of great guests. And we also have our new podcast, which is Bibliography. Um, First episode was with Ron Rash, one of North Carolina's great authors. Second episode, which is up now, is with Alexandra Andrews, who wrote uh, a novel called Who is Maud Dixon? Which actually, you're reading that right now, Heidi, aren't you? I'm
2: reading it right now. It's delightful. How
1: far did you get? How far are you?
2: So I am in, I'm about a third of the way through
1: okay and so you David haven't even
2: any time i can yeah you
1: haven't even really hit the big no i
2: have not they've part. not gone yeah. anywhere yet yeah. which i know is well coming, they're gonna so end up anyway, in morocco I recommend so. it. it's great yeah so, it's one it's of my favorite mysteries
1: that i've read this year um so she and we talked about all the books that she loves and um, so if you if you uh like um podcasts that will help you come up with things for your tbr pile uh then just make sure you subscribe to, to bibliography wherever you podcast um okay with that i guess that's it anything you want to add heidi
2: well, yeah, well, just this thing popped in my head when you were talking about that and thinking, I and I think some of our readers will, or our listeners, excuse me, will relate to this. I, I'm i like the rare reader that actually needs help with new books because I read so many old books. And I think a lot of our listeners will relate to that. So this is the kind of <clears throat> podcast that I need in my life to help me know what is new and what I also should good. read that's being published now and also good.
1: Although I will say I... uh I um, talked. One of the questions I ask all the guests, usually the first question is, What did you, what was the first book that you fell in love with as a child? So we do all, and then we also talk about what role classics play. So you'll hear a lot of contemporary people talking, yes, about modern books, but also like, What are the books that made them want to be writers and so forth? So, um, can't wait. All right. Well, with that, for Tim McIntosh and for Heidi White, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, happy reading.